0: We are in the middle of a series from John 13 to 17. And we've entitled it Knowing and Growing, Living a Fruitful Life for the Father. And that title kind of comes from this passage Bearing Fruit for God. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time when he's going to be gone. They're worried, they're afraid, they don't know what, how they're going to cope. And he's preparing them. And he's going to help them to be ready for the time when he's gone but also to prepare them for what it means to go out on mission for him. So as we get into this passage, let's pause once more to to pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this morning for what a beautiful day it is. Thank you that we can come in freedom to worship you together. Thank you that you are here with us, even now today by your spirit. Thank you for the songs we've sung of praise of hope, of victory that we have in Jesus. And Lord, as we come to this passage now, help us to help us to hear from you. Lord, you know us, you know our hearts, you know where we each stand before you. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would be at work in us, showing us yourself, warming our hearts, changing our hearts to be more like Jesus. Would you come and teach us, come and rebuke and correct us where we need it, and prepare us, Lord, as we head out into the world to save you day by day. We pray these things for your glory. Amen. So, in our passage, as I'm sure you have noticed, Jesus is speaking about fruit. He's not talking about apples, apples and oranges. I'm quite glad because I don't like apples and oranges. But he's using the word fruit as a metaphor. Like we do today, fruit, the fruit of our labors. What is that? When we think about fruit, we think about the, the end product of something that you put in, the end process. So if you work hard in the kitchen baking, your fruit is a cake. If you work hard each day in the office, the end of the week or month, the fruit of your labors is a paycheck. Fruit is that product of the process. And Jesus is using the metaphor for bearing fruit for God meaning living lives that are worthy of God, living lives that please him, that glorify God in everything that we do. Paul, in his letters, he speaks about bearing fruit in the good works that we do. Now, we can bear fruit, of course, in many different ways for God. I think here in this passage, Jesus is mainly focusing on a couple of things. I think he's mainly talking about bearing fruit in mission, Remember, he's preparing his disciples to go out into the world to pass on the good news, to bear fruit, making more and more disciples. But I think we can't deny that he's also talking about just bearing fruit and becoming more like Jesus, bearing fruit of holiness as well. But before we get into what it means to bear fruit for God, we need to think about why is Jesus using this metaphor, the metaphor of a vine, and the branches, and the fruit. Why is he using this? What's the significance of that for the disciples? What's the significance of that for us as Christians today? Well, take a quick look at the last sentence of chapter 14. Last week we didn't touch on this, but we will briefly. Today, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. As I've said, we're in the middle of of what people call The farewell discourse, Jesus preparing his disciples for life after him. And it's up in the upper room. The Lord's Supper is is happening. And then in chapter 18, they leave to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's then arrested, and go to the cross. But yet here, at the end of chapter 14, we have Jesus say, come now, let us leave. There seems to be two leavings. Now, we're not going to distract ourselves this morning by getting into the different reasons and what people think. But well, what's more important is that if there's a change in location here, what's more important is there's, there's definitely a change in theme, a change in focus of what Jesus is talking about with his disciples. He's moved from talking about coming to them and preparing them when he's leaving to now heading out into mission. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. And perhaps, perhaps they did leave the upper room at that time, And maybe as they're walking slowly towards the Garden of Gethsemane, they pass a vineyard. Maybe. Maybe they even walk past the temple. And as they walk past the gate of the temple, there is this huge, big, golden grapevine over the gate. So Jesus picks up this imagery of a grapevine. But what does it mean? What's its significance? Well, if you know a lot about the Old Testament, then you'll know that the grapevine or the vineyard is a symbol for Israel the Old Testament, God refers to Israel as being like a vineyard, like a vine. Grape vines are found all over the land of Israel. It's a good quality land to bear lots of grapes. It's got the good conditions, the best environment for growing grapes. Listen from Isaiah chapter 5, how God describes Israel as a vineyard. It's Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared out it of stones and planted in it choice vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then Psalm 80. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and took it, it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, it shoots as far as the river. That's a wonderful description of Israel coming out of Egypt, going towards the promised land. As they drive out the enemies from the land, they go in and occupy it, and they spread out like the vine would do, as far as the Mediterranean here and the rivers and the north and the south. A vineyard that bears lots of fruit that's blessed, that's in God's place. And it's describing the people of Israel, a people who lived in a land under God's rule, bearing wonderful fruit for him, being a witness for him to the nations all around them. And as you read through the history of Israel, you see, even at the height of David and Solomon, you see a nation living in such a way, under great blessing, being prosperous, being wealthy, being envied by the nations around them. And yet, we know that it's not long after King Solomon that things turned sour. And the nation started to neglect the vineyard, as it were. It turned away from God and worshipped false gods. The walls were broken down and the grapes were trampled upon. We heard those wonderful words of God describing the vineyard in Isaiah 5, but Isaiah goes on in verse 3 and he says, Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and the people of of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take it away. I will take away its hedges. And they will be trampled and destroyed. I will break down the walls. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And so we see that Israel failed to be, failed to fulfill its role as being a beautiful vineyard, bearing great fruit for God. But yet now, Jesus comes and he says, I am the true vine. He's making a big claim, I am the true vine, and so the disciples, I'm sure, their ears pricked up. And they were interested to see, what is Jesus going to say? Jesus is the fulfillment of what Israel was pointing to. He succeeded where Israel failed to succeed. To bear fruit for God means We have to be part of Jesus. If he is the true vine, we have to be part of Jesus to live lives that please God. Now, this morning, I don't know where you are in terms of your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're somebody who is not a Christian. You're quite happy not being a Christian, and that's where you want to stay. You're someone who would say, I'm not in the vine, and I'm certainly not bearing fruit for God. Well, I hope and pray that this morning you'll see that actually the only life that's worth living is a life that is in Christ, that bears fruit for his glory, that will last forever. Maybe you think you are bearing fruit, but actually you're not in the vine. We'll think about what that means. Maybe you're in the vine this morning, you know you're a Christian, but really that is all you are. You don't really live your life for Christ you're not really bearing fruit for him in his kingdom. Or maybe you know that you're in the vine and you are bearing fruit for God, but actually you've got to a stage where the fruit you're bearing for him is it's just done in your own strength. You're not really relying on him and trusting in his power. I'm sure each of us will fit into one of those categories in, in some way. And it's my prayer this morning that God would show us that we can only bear fruit in him and by his power. So the first way we'll look at in terms of how we can bear fruit for God is by remaining in the vine, or abiding in the vine is probably a better word to use. Read with me from verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is taken, thrown away and with us. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus in these verses is kind of contrasting the difference between being a branch that bears fruit and is pruned to be more fruitful and a branch that doesn't bear fruit and is cut off or taken away and burned. Branches that can only bear fruit if they are attached to the vine. Even if you're not a gardener, I'm sure you know that makes sense. When Jesus says "remain," he doesn't mean to stay in Him as if you can come in and out as you please. It's, It's a more permanent meaning than that. That's why I've chosen "abide," the more permanent residence in Him. We could only bear fruit in Him. And so, as you think about your garden, you know the flowers will only grow if they're attached to the stem. And branches will only grow leaves if they're attached to the trunk. Think of a baby, a baby that grows inside the womb. A baby is only going to grow if it's attached to the umbilical cord. Because it's from the umbilical cord that all the goodness and the life and the power and strength comes from the mother into the baby so that it can grow. So likewise... We need to be in the vine because it's from the vine that comes the life and the power and all the resources we need to then bear fruit for God. Fruitfulness for God can only be achieved if we are Christians, if we are in Christ, if we're trusting in him, if we're connected to him, if we've loved him and and put our faith in him and are obeying him in our lives. But what about these branches that don't bear fruit? What about those branches that are picked up and thrown away, put into the fire to be burned? Well, if this metaphor, in the metaphor, if branches represent people, who are those people that are cut off and thrown away? Well, they're not people who were once Christians and are now have lost their salvation. The Bible's clear that that is not what happens. Instead, Jesus is probably thinking about people like Judas. People who have claimed to be in the vine, but are not truly in the vine. Think about Judas. He was chosen by Jesus to come and be part of the 12. He lived with Jesus and heard him and ate with him and and followed the disciples and went out on mission with them even. And yet at the end of the day, we saw he bore no fruit for God because he rebelled and turned away from Jesus and betrayed Jesus. Friends, there are people in churches all over the world. I don't know, maybe even here this morning. People who profess to be Christians, but really they're not bearing fruit for him. How do we know that we're a Christian? We know because we bear fruit. We live lives that are different, that are for him. So if there is no real love for the Lord, if there's no desire to be like Christ, if there's unrepentant sin lived out, if there's no effort or desire to share Christ, then these are good signs, good evidences that one is not in Christ and not bearing fruit. And in terms of eternity, what it means is that life is worth nothing. All it's good for is being thrown out and burned. Now, Jesus is not saying that your life is not worth living. It's not what he's saying. He loves you, and he longs for you to be part of the vine, so you'll bear fruit for him that will last for eternity. But what he's saying is the life that's, the life that's worth living is only in Christ. So once we are in Christ, once we are part of the vine, then we can bear fruit. And Jesus is looking at the big picture of what it means to bear fruit in this passage. And he talks about love. So, we bear fruit for God by loving like Christ. Being a part of the vine, remaining in the vine, is it's much more than just being a Christian. It's, it's living a life as a Christian. To remain in Jesus means to remain in his love. And the second half of our passage from 9 to 16 explains in real terms what Jesus is talking about in his metaphorical language in that first half. So you can almost divide it into two passages. One to eight, you have the metaphor of the vine and the branches and the fruits. And then he explains that in real language in the rest of of the, the passage. So read with me again from verse nine. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. To remain in Jesus means to remain in his love. To remain in his love means to keep his commands, verse 10 says. What are his commands? To love. To love God. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. By believing and trusting in him. To love one another as Christians. To love the world. Jesus commands us to believe in him. To believe in who he is. And what he's done for us. And he calls us to live obedient lives, not to become a part of him, but as a response to him. So loving obedience is a wonderful fruit that we bear as Christians. We don't produce fruit as a test to get into the vine, but we produce fruit as a byproduct of being in the vine. Now, of course, we could preach a hundred sermons on what it means to love as Christians, and you probably have heard a hundred sermons on what it means to love as Christians. So what on earth can I say that's different, or that's new, or that will challenge us this morning? Well, I think Jesus picks up on a couple of things, not necessarily about how we love, but about why we should love, our motivation in loving in bearing fruit for God. If we're called to love God with everything that we have, if we're called to love one another in the church, if we're called to love the world, if we're called to follow Jesus' example, one who gave his life, who died to show his love, if that is how we are to love, then we know that it's hard. We know it's going to be difficult. We know that we're not always going to want to do it. We know that actually to love, it means to give. It means to sacrifice. It means that it's all about the other person and not about me. It means giving of my time, my energy. It means giving of my gifts. It means giving of my reputation and my comforts, setting aside the differences that I have between myself and others. And it's hard work. But yet yeah, we know, as we saw last week, that the Holy Spirit is with us to help us. And we know that actually... By loving, it produces joy. Love leads to joy. Verse 11, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What brings most joy to us? What brings most joy to Jesus? It is loving, loving obedience. Jesus found such joy in obeying his father in loving his father. He willingly gave it all. He came to earth and died upon a cross in our place. And it brought him great joy because he was living in obedience to his Father. Jesus found great joy in the cross because he knew the resurrection was around the corner. And he knew that from the cross through the new life that he would give, many, many would come to believe in him. To receive that same joy. So, to bear fruit for God leads to great joy because God is glorified through the lives that we live. There was a woman who often would go to visit her pastor, and she would often complain about how hard her life was and how that she didn't find joy anymore in the Lord. So, the pastor wisely told her to go home and bake some cakes. Take them down the road to Mrs. Jones and give them to her. And so she did. And the pastor didn't see her for weeks. It's wonderful. But when he asked the woman, where have you been? Are you okay? She said, yes, I am wonderful. I'm feeling wonderful. I've been baking cakes for Mrs. Jones, and it brought me such joy. I've been doing it for other people in the church I've been loving and giving and serving because it's taken my mind off my troubles and I've seen others who are in need. I've been loving them and it's brought me joy. It's brought me joy because it's brought them joy. It's brought me joy because it's brought my Father joy in heaven. Try it. Test it out. When you love somebody, it does bring you joy. It's very countercultural. But it does, it brings you joy, but it brings our Heavenly Father joy and glory. But then there's another reason, another motivation for us to live lives of love. And that is that we, we deal, we obey, and we love, not as slaves and servants, but as friends of Jesus. Jesus says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Jesus has showed us what love is. He's shown us what it means. He's laid the path before us. He's gone there before us. Jesus doesn't command us to do something he hasn't done already. He doesn't command us to obey him blindly, without explanation. He doesn't tell us to go and do something that will harm us. But he has revealed himself to us. He's shown us the Father. He's brought us in to be part of this big plan that God has for the world. He's welcomed us in as friends, not simply as servants. As a slave does what his master tells him to do without question. But a friend is different. A friend, in this case, is still a servant. They're still serving and and obeying. Jesus is probably thinking about the kind of servant that is welcomed into the court of the king one who is still a servant but yet is is privy to the king's will and the king's ear. And then goes out willingly, lovingly, joyfully to obey his master because he knows exactly what the king's plan is. And in that sense, we are friends of Jesus. That's what it means to love and to bear fruit for God. Jesus says, remain in my love If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. He tells us these things because they bring us joy. He tells us these things as friends, not as servants. Maybe this morning as Christians, we know that we're in the vine. We've not been bearing fruit as much as we know we should have done. And may these motivations help us to go out and live lives of love, loving one another having our eyes opened to the needs of those around us, that we'd lovingly serve God's people and that it would bring us joy. And that we'd go out willingly, knowing that we're not going out obeying a strict master of his slaves, but going out as friends of the king. But even if we are in the vine and we're bearing fruits, the danger can be that we Try to bear that fruit in our own might and in our own strength. But actually, we need God's power, God's strength. So the last way that we can bear fruit is through prayer. Remember, we said earlier that being a part of the vine means that you have the life and the energy and the nutrients come through the vine to the branches so that it can bear fruit. We need to be connected to God through prayer to get that power, to have that help, so we're able to bear fruit for God. <clears throat> prayer is that technical word we use for that personal, relational conversation that we have with our Father. And that's what prayer is. It's a wonderful conversation as we, as we speak to the Lord, as we hear the Lord. Now, what does Jesus say about prayer in this chapter? Look down at verse 7. Jesus says, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and they will be done for you. And verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now, at first glance, you could think that prayer is like rubbing a genie's lamp, and you can ask whatever you want, and your greatest wishes will be fulfilled. I'm sure you know that that is not what prayer is. However, Jesus really does say that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. Now, whatever this verse does mean, it does say what it says on the tin. A prayer in Jesus' name, meaning a prayer that is prayed in line with Jesus' words, his promises, his teaching, his commands, that's prayed in his authority, it will be answered. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, by his word in line with his will, the prayer will be answered. So when we think about bearing fruit for God, if our prayers in Jesus' name, which doesn't mean that we add on the phrase, we pray these things in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer. It's not what that phrase is supposed to be used for. But if we pray the content of our prayers, if if the content of our prayers are in line with his will, if they're according to his promises, if they glorify the Father, then he'll answer them. Now, of course, the problem is, how do we know what the will of God is? How do we know what is in Jesus' name? Well, I think he gives us a hint in verse 7, when he talks about his words remaining in us. If our words, if his words are in us, then we can ask. If we ask in Jesus' name, then he will give. His word, his promises, his will is laid out for us in the Bible And so if we're in the vine, and if we are immersed in Christ, if we are studying and reading and meditating his Word, getting to know his heart, what is the heart of God, knowing what brings him glory, then we're better able to pray in line with him and pray in his name. There were two Christian men who lived near each other. The first was a farmer, And since there had not been any rain for several weeks, the farmer went out early one morning and prayed that it would rain. But there was no rain. His next-door neighbor, who was also a Christian, he woke up early too, and he went outside to pray that it wouldn't rain because he was taking his non-Christian friend fishing. On that day, there was no rain. God heard both requests, but he couldn't answer both requests with a yes. He did what most glorified him. Now, whether that story is true or not, I don't know. But it certainly could well be true. Because God's heart is to glorify himself. And so he will answer our prayers in a way that glorifies him. And that is in line with his will and his purpose. I can think of many times praying for no rain. Particularly during missions. Beach missions, particularly, you want to be on the beach with the kids. And sometimes God has answered us by not sending the rain. But sometimes the rain has come. But you know what? What's more important is that whether whether it rained or whether it didn't rain, he gave us opportunities to speak for Jesus and even to see salvation come, even in the rain. And so what matters is not whether it rains or doesn't rain, but what brings most glory to God? And so if we are thinking this morning about bearing fruit for God in terms of seeing people become Christians and seeing ourselves becoming more like Christ, then both of those things are great. They're part of God's will. They give glory to him. And so we can pray about those things boldly. So, Modern Road Church this morning, do you pray that God would bring salvation to East Oxford, to Oxford. Let's be bold, let's be brave, that if we do pray that, then he'll answer and he will save. In time, over time, he will save. Are we praying that God will change us to be more like Jesus? And again, if we pray those prayers, he will. Are we praying that as a Christian community together that we will love one another? that we love those around us, and as we do that, people will see Jesus in this community and they will come to know him for themselves. Do we pray prayers of real faith like that, believing that we pray in Jesus' name that he will answer for his glory? In a while, we're going to be leaving to go and bear fruit for God. There is another way that we can bear fruit that he touches on in this passage, and that is pruning. We don't have time to look at that, but we probably will in the next couple of weeks. But let us go. Let us go being in the vine. Let's trust in Christ with all of our lives that we may bear fruit for him, bear fruit of love, and bear fruit that is in his name and through his power that is at work in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for John's Gospel. We thank you for all that we've been learning through the teachings of Jesus to his disciples. And what that means for us, too, is as your people who seek to go out into the world to bear fruit for the Father. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to bear fruit of love, fruit that will last, fruit that makes a difference. That you would help us to go in your strength and in your name and in your power as we we pray to you. May we be a prayerful people, people who are dependent upon you for everything. This morning, if there there is anybody here this morning who is not one of yours, who wouldn't call themselves a Christian. Maybe someone this morning who thinks that they are a Christian, but, but when they really think about their lives, they think about what they do with their lives, they know that really they're not bearing fruit for you then please, Lord Jesus, would you come meet with them, come speak to them, come convict them of where they stand before you, that they may come to you and trust in you, that they may claim truly to be a part of the vine, and that you would bear much fruit through their lives. Lord, we, we long and desire to bear fruit as Christians, not for ourselves, not for our own glory, but for you, for your glory, for your church, that it may grow, So that heaven, so that the new earth will be filled with many, many millions of people worshipping and glorifying you. We pray these things for your glory. Amen.